GraphQL is an open source query language developed by Facebook that allow clients to formulate queries to get different results. Its main goal is to combine multiple services and endpoints into a single endpoint. In this video, we will discuss what is GraphQL, why Facebook developed it, and we're going to go through some examples using the GitHub GraphQL API. We're going to also show the REST version of those, the REST API version of those. Finally, we will discuss the pros and cons and when should you use this technology. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Hussein, and in this channel, we discuss all sorts of software engineering by example. So if you want to become a better software engineer, consider subscribing, hit that bell icon so you get notified every time I upload a new video. With that said, let's just jump into this video. All right, guys. So... Here's the agenda for this video. We're going to talk about different things with regards to this technology, right? And uh, we have made a video about the REST API, and you guys asked me to make an analogous video about GraphQL, and here it is, right? So here's what we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss what is GraphQL? What is this thing? Why does it exist? Because every technology, there is a reason for it to exist, right? There, is, there was a requirement. And from these requirements, born a new technology because existing technologies didn't work for some reason or another. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about examples, and I'm going to use the GitHub API because this is one of the publicly available Git uh, APIs that have both REST and GraphQL, which is great and amazing, right, To for comparison. And you can see the power of GraphQL there. Like any technology, like any video that I make in this channel, we're going to discuss the pros and cons. No technology is perfect. Don't get attached to anything because it can go away anytime. There's always bad and good. We're going to discuss the bad, the good, and the ugly about the GraphQL. And we're going to discuss when to use GraphQL. And this is very interesting. You're going to take that section with a huge lump of salt, guys, because it's my personal opinion, okay? We can have a discussion in the in the comment section, obviously, okay? With that said, I think we're ready to jump into this video. So what is GraphQL, guys? What is it? What is it? So this technology has been developed by Facebook because of the REST API limitation. That was that was back in 2012, not long, not long ago, right? That was what, seven years ago? 2019, yeah, seven years ago was developed by internally in Facebook. And there was a reason, and here's the reason, right? Um, Facebook, you know, it's a very graph-based system. You know, you have friends and uh, each friend have other friends and those friends make posts, right? Those posts have likes and the post has comments, right? And the post itself has text. And as the, the front end of Facebook, especially with mobile versus the web, changes all the time, you get to show fancy stuff like you say, hey, Dave and 70 other like this photo. And, and, and Dave is usually your friend. And how do they know that, right? They, they query the backend and find out that they've actually one of your friends that liked this picture and as a, as a result, show you that result. So they are doing all that stuff. And back in 2012, 2011, or maybe before, 
only the REST API was the dominant one, the Roy Fielding architecture API. We made a video about that. I'm going to reference it here if you are interested to know about that technology before jumping into that. The pros and cons again with that technology. But here's the thing. They, they built it onto the REST API. And they said, all right, so we have REST is an architecture style. So it's a resource based. So we're going to have an endpoint called posts we're going to have an input called friends we're going to have an input called likes and uh, that sounds nice and sounds kind of neat okay so then that pro that's a problem right so me they decided to start working with that and they said oh man okay answer this question give me a post and give me all the people who like this post the count at least and give me all the comments and give me all the text of that comment and much more information and they found that oh my gosh okay i have to make a call to the post rest endpoint slash post and then i have to make a rest endpoint to the post slash comments because it's a resource based right that's how you do it with rest and then that yeah that gives you the results and then that you have to turn our array again and do another rest endpoint for the <laughs> likes rest endpoints and then they found this, they were doing multiple round trips to get one piece of information to populate the page. And that was extremely expensive. Okay. They said, you know what? We're not doing that. Right? We plus each request for the resource, since REST is a schema less, it doesn't force you to do a schema. So, so guess what? If you're asking for a post, you get everything. You get the post ID, you get the post text, you get the post date, you get when it was created, you get all the properties of the of the post. And the same thing with friends. And and the 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 payload that comes back is huge as a result. And and with mobile phones, that does didn't scale, obviously, right? Because that that obviously the deserialization that needs to happen on the phone to convert that JSON back to just objects and then obviously the native format, which whether iOS or Android, that also kind of consumes battery, CPU, obviously, and then the battery and then drain your battery. So they thought about all that stuff. It's like, how do we fix it? They said, we're going to build a query language. We're going to build a beautiful query language. And here's what we're going to do. With the query language, the client, because we don't know what kind of uh, request the client will make. And, and that's true, right? Because they, they, they couldn't anticipate. It's not very, it's not a static page. Facebook have a lot of requirements. They change the front end all the time to adapt. They, they shifted from the web to the mobile and the mobile have different requirements. So they need kind of almost like an ad hoc API that kind of give them the flexibility to do everything. So they, they designed GraphQL as a result, a query language that you ask one question, you make one call to one endpoint, and you tell it what you want. Hey, I want this post, this ID, and for that post, I want the number of likes, and then for that post also, I want the number of comments, and also give me the friends, because you're authenticated, that's another requirement for GraphQL, you have to be authenticated, right? You don't have to, but for Facebook at least, you have to know. And then when we know you, we can find your friends and find out if if that post has been liked by one of your friends and show you that as a result. We can show you like Dave and or, or John and 
six others can like this photo, whatever, so we can recommend it to you. And, and that's, that's kind of thing, right? And then you can get all these uh, flexibility as a result. And, and now they solve this problem. It's a one request to the back end, right? There are problems with that, obviously. We're going to talk about it because now this query language that they designed it's not json it looks jsony but it's not json we're gonna we're gonna show an example of that and uh guys by the way you're gonna see some timestamps to jump through the interesting part of this video if you don't like this mumbo jumbo that i'm saying just just skip through it and just go to the examples you, sh you should have seen some codes that jumps to the minute seconds of the video that you're interested in the part of the video you're interested in okay so a query language so that's why we built this query language we yeah like uh, i was there <laughs> web api so it was designed mainly for web apis essentially right interested this the word web here because it's it's interesting because the graphql is actually a transport agnostic so you kind of you can build it on top of any protocol you can build it on top of tcp udp and uh, other things so i don't know why it's called web I guess because it was mainly designed for the web, but sure, yeah. So, so as you can see, it's it's not an an end user kind of thing, right? It's designed for developers essentially. You you build it for developers, and though the developers will consume that API and then uh, get the results uh, as they want, right? It's very heavily typed. It's a schema based, right? And uh, here's the thing, right? Because they want to solve the other problem where. REST essentially is a schema list. And the problem with schema list architectures is that if you request a resource, you don't get to choose what comes back. When you ask for a resource, you get everything back, all the properties. And to get back only what you're interested in, you have to tell me what you want. And to tell me what you want, you need a schema, right? That's why they said, you know what? We're going to schema and strongly type everything. We're going to heavily type every single thing. It's a very schema-operated API, okay? And, that, and, and maybe that's a good thing. Some people don't like this. You know why, guys? Why do we have SQL and NoSQL? SQL... Some people will say, hey, horizontal scalability, but not, that's not the only reason, right? Because SQL was a very structured and schema-based, right? NoSQL is no, doesn't have a schema per se. And people like that because the adoption increased when there's no schema. Look at SOAP and REST, guys. SOAP, remember this technology, simple object access protocol? Why people didn't use it? Well, because it, it was using the god-awful XML as the format, obviously, but... That's not only problem. The problem was a schema-based. It was a very heavily typed architecture protocol, you can call it. Yeah, it's a protocol. Yeah, It's a very heavily typed. And as a result, people shy away from it because it was complex to implement. So there's always you're going to find these two school of thought. The schema people versus the non-schema people. And GraphQL is the first query language that is for the web that is schema-based. My prediction as a software engineer, there will be a version of GraphQL, a competitor that will emerge, hopefully, in the future, that is a non-schema-based. That's my prediction. But, again, we're going to talk about the pros and cons. But heavily typed, okay? And heavily typed solves a great problem because of this, uh, as we said, right, the 
the the ability to give back what exactly what I need. Therefore, have a smaller efficient response, right? I don't want all this garbage. I just want the title of the post. I don't I don't care about the date and all this information, right? Maybe you do, but but you don't need all the attributes, right? Transport agnostic. This thing has been designed transport agnostic. So was SOAP, by the way. It's simple object particle. So I don't think this is a huge big deal, right? But yeah, so so uh, pretty much a lot of protocols are transport agnostic, right? except the rest is was designed for HTTP, which is a good thing in my opinion, right? Because you get a lot of standardization with with this adoption of HTTP. So, but GraphQL is mainly used in HTTP, but you don't have to use it, right? Because you can build it on top of TCP if you want to. You can build it on top of HTTP, which is by default, right? You can use WebSockets. A lot of people use WebSockets, especially with the subscription model with GraphQL, where where server pushes information in a very well-defined messages, and that people like that. Okay, people, a lot of people like that, especially back in the day when you when we designed um, Bus, is that what's called? Yeah, Enterprise Service Bus, ESB. Oh my God, don't remind me of these days. Enterprise Service Bus, right? You, you need kind of well-defined messages. SOAP was used heavily back then, but you need something agnostic, um, something similar, which is GraphQL is, is good for this. You can define messages and you push back in WebSockets. WebSockets is a bad choice, in my opinion, if, to push just, it's an overkill to push information from the server to the client. You can obviously do you can you can argue to you can use event sourcing just to push information from the server to the client but but yeah right so transport agnostic you can use a lot of uh, other protocols for transporting these messages these queries that we talked about so what's the properties of graphql guys what is the properties of graphql it is a schema based so you can ask the graphql for its schema and that's very important because this is called the schema introspection. You can interrogate the API and tell, hey, API, sub, tell me what do you have? What kind of object do you support? What kind of types do you support, right? Give me, there is a friend object. There is a, there is a post object. There is a news feed object. There is GitHub API. There is a repository. There is a pull request. There is a commit. There is a comment. There is, there is a review objects so all kind of schema right because once you have schemas you have to tell me how do i query these schemas and the clients can start caching that and and to get the schema guys if you're using http as, as the protocol to talk to the graphql then what you what you do essentially is you make a get request and that's pretty much the only get request you can make for this and the reason is because the schema query is it tightly and small right and that's why you can fit it in the url parameter that's why you can make a get request however the rest of the query as you may anticipate is going to be huge big because because of what we talked about right because you have you have this ability to do kind of an ad hoc query and that query can get large and if it exceeds a whatever the maximum length for get request, which is 2,048 characters, which you can put in the URL, that kind of exceeds the maximum get request. And guess what? You cannot send a body with the get request, so 
you kind of SOL in this case, right? Because what will happen is you don't get to cash, right? Because Git is the beautiful method that allows you to client HTTP clients will cache by default using e tags and all that stuff. We talked about caching. I'm gonna reference it here. But essentially, without that, you don't cache. You you only have to use post, which gets you to give the body, which then you have unlimited request size essentially. All right. So you have a schema, right? And the schema, you can query the schema. Okay. You can query other types. You can query other objects to get data from the server. Okay. So that's the first thing that you can query. You can also do nesting. In the same query, you can nest so that you can, okay, give me the post and inside that post, give me the first comment. And for that first comment, I want the person who commented, when did he comment? And I don't know whether he's my friend or not. You can, okay, so obviously you can show the text and the number of likes. So you can do all these kind of nesting, which you can do, like build a very interesting queries. Mutation, which is the equivalent of kind of an update, right? Or delete or insert. You don't have these methods anymore, unfortunately. You can only do a post and that post will be interpreted at the backend as a result. Okay, so you can do mutation. You can obviously change the backend. You not only read, you can also write, obviously, using the GraphUL. Structure model, which we talked about a little bit, right? Up, to, up until here, this is a request response model, but there was a requirement where we need to push information from the server to the client. That's where we're sub the, the, the client can subscribe to a certain topic. That, that's Kafka. <laughs> you can subscribe to a certain, uh, I would say, object, right? I don't really know how it works. I didn't dive deep into that topic, but so you can subscribe. And based on that model, you can choose your method of transport, which is WebSockets. I don't believe anyone, I didn't see any implementation of event sourcing with GraphQL. That would be interesting. Guys, if you if you saw someone, leave a comment there. I will, I'd like to check it out. All right. How about some examples? How about some examples? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some schema introspection, right, with the GitHub API. Right. In order to do that, GitHub API requires to do authentication. So we're gonna create a nice token, right? And then after we create a token, I'm gonna show you how to do that. Then we're gonna make the queries essentially. And all I'm gonna make all of this in the, in the browser, guys. Right? Using the beautiful Fetch API that we have in HTML5, which is available in every browser. We're gonna do that. And then I'm gonna show you some little bit of code that I, I took from the GitHub site, actually, from their, their examples, and, but I actually implemented it. They have curls. I just used JavaScript and Fitch to show you how what the same question answered in REST versus GraphQL. Obviously, slow one in REST because GitHub is very similar to Facebook in that regard. This is very resource based, but but the queries are very ad hoc. You don't you cannot anticipate. You're building a public API. You have no idea what kind of questions the developers will ask, right? So that's why you need something like GraphQL. If you're anticipating what you, what the developer will build, then uh, then this is good, right? It's great. All right, let's jump into examples. All right, guys. So the first thing we need to do is to create a token. 
And that token will allow us to authorize ourselves with the GraphQL API, with the GitHub GraphQL API, so we can make requests. And because we cannot, unfortunately, make requests as public, plus we're going to get rate limited. So with with a token, you you kind of have a better luck with uh, not to get um, uh, rate limited. So we're going to go to here, then you're look into your GitHub page, and then go to settings, right? Then if you go to settings you can go and click on developers settings and then after that you can click on personal access tokens and then let's go ahead and create a new token now we have it i'm gonna leave that page open all right guys we have the token we are ready to make our first query and we're gonna the first query is essentially just a get request to get the schema we're gonna do a schema introspection and we have all what we need from that query. So let's do that. Uh, open Chrome or, Web, or Firefox, that works as well. If you go to these three burger button or whatever it's called, you go to more tools, you go to developer tools, you'll get a beautiful console here where you can write JavaScript code, which we want to, which is the, the thing we need. The first thing I want to declare is our token. I'm going to declare my token. I copied it and pasted it here. We have a token. The second thing we need to do is make a request. What do we use? Fetch request. It's a built-in thing. And then this is the API endpoint for GraphQL. That's one advantage for GraphQL. You have to remember only one URL, but you have to remember how to query it. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of another thing, right? And if you do that, let's see without any token, what do we get back? Because the default is get which will give me the schema introspection. But let's see if we get a result. I think we need to authorize ourselves, but I'm going to try without. So I'm going to expect JSON back, all right? Give me the JSON, and then then and then just print that thing, right? And then it's just printed. And we got an error because the endpoint needs to be authenticated. That's okay. So let's authenticate. How do we authenticate? I'm going to do it now. It's not, it's not hard. So here's what I do. I'm going to pass another parameter here. And in order to do that, we pass an object. And we can skip the method or we can specify. It's up to you guys. I'm going to specify it because it's get. Get is the default, but let's specify it because we're going to change it later to post. And uh, here's the second thing. We need to pass a bunch of headers. Okay. Well, we just need one header for now. Okay. And the header is called ba -ba -da -ba, authorization. Okay. And the authorization header is starts with token, and then literally you just slam the token that you have. Okay, let's see if that does the trick. Right, we're sending the header that's authorization, and then token space token. You can do it. This is the template literals in JavaScript, and then we get that that closes this guy, that closes this guy, that closes this guy, that closes this guy, and we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait, and we get the data back, guys. Let's expand. Data. Schema. Look at that. Look at all this beautiful stuff, guys. Let's zoom it back. This is what we're interested in. The types. Look at all these types. We get everything, guys, back. Everything. Okay? We get, in, in, in the GitHub API, you have actors. You have repositories. You have projects. All of these are types that you can query, which is what we're going to do next. So far, we didn't send a query, if you think about it. We just sent a request to give me the schema, which this is now obviously 
has uh, has a caching network. Hopefully, it got captured. And I guess this is the one, and this has two hundred a good request. So you get back a caching algorithm. You get back an e tag, which can be cached, which is very useful. That's pretty much the only thing that get, can get cached here. Okay, and you can keep it with you, and you don't have to make a request again because it doesn't change that often. Shouldn't really, right? But there's, here's the interesting part, right? Once you make that, that request, you can now interrogate and see what you want from this. And I'm interested in this puppy, the repository, if I can find it, obviously. There you go, repository, okay? And in the fields of the repository, you can see what kind of fields and what you want. You have a name, you have what? You have fork is fork, you have fork count. So here's what I want to do. I want to query the repository that is free code camp. All right. You know, guys, it's a, I think the, the most starred uh, repository out there. So I'm going to query that. I'm going to give back the, I want the fork count only. And what else? I want also the, Look at that, it gives you that whether it's deprecated or not. All that jazz, that's beautiful stuff, right? And uh, what else? Let's give back just the fork count for now, okay? How about that? How do I do that? It's called the repository, right? Let's do this. In order to do that, guys, let's clear this up. We need to declare a query. Let Q, Q equal, this is a string. It looks very JSON-y, but it's not really JSON, okay? Now we're gonna send a request, right? And this request has to be post. And for, for obvious reasons, because this is gonna be a huge string and and then get request cannot handle that, unfortunately, because the HTTP protocol is designed so that get request doesn't have a body because everything goes to the URL. So you can bookmark it and do all this fancy stuff. That's why we have bookmarks, right? Because of the get requests. Because all the browsers make git requests. When you go to google.com, enter, that's a git request, right? So everything is git request. Fortunately, we have to make posts with this. But that's no bit, not a big deal. We know how to do that. So here's what I want to do. I want to query. How do we query, guys? You want back the repo, re, if I can spell, repository, okay? And here's the thing. I'm going to just say, I want the repository. And I want, what did we say? Give me the name and you don't add a comma. I made this mistake so many times, right? This is not JSON. You have to add a new line. And then add fork count. Has to be case sensitive, babes. Have to be case sensitive. Otherwise, doesn't work. Okay, let's just make this. I want the repository. I didn't specify I, I this will fail. I want to see it fail. Okay. I want the repository. And I want the name and fork count. We didn't really specify, but Let's see what will happen, right? Let's see if we, we get yelled at. And then the fetch request here, I'm going to change it. So it is post, right? And authorization is cool. But here's the thing. I need a body, right? I'm going to send somebody. going to send somebody. All right. So we're going to send a body. And that body is a string of... It's actually a string that represents a JSON object, okay? And that JSON object, right, it looks like this. It has usually just two parameters. It's a legit JSON object, okay? 
And that JSON object, let's just make it this way so you can readable. It's, I think it's called query. And then you pass Q, okay? Which is the variable we created. So this is a string. This is a JSON, guys. Don't get confused, right? That blob of text that we wrote that looks JSON is not JSON. It's a string, okay? And this is JSON. So we're sending JSON, but we cannot just send that JSON object to, to the Fitch API. It's going to yell at us. So we have to do JSON.string, stringify. Gonna stringify it. And that's how you do it. There's a bunch of other parameters, like I think like uh, variables and stuff, right? But uh, I didn't dive in, even do it, right? Okay. So, buddy, you can do that. Once you do that, you're set. Let's try it. Let's try it out. We got back result. We get back an error. What is it? Field repository is missing required arguments on our name. So here's back to the uh, to the schema kind of thing, right? You know that you need an owner, you need a name. So our query is wrong. Let's try rewrite it. How do you do that? You add parentheses on after the repository or after the type that you want to query, okay? And then we know that we need, uh, what do we need? We need a name and it's called free code camp. And the owner is also called free code camp. So in my case, so this will be my, maybe if I have a GitHub account, my name is H Nasser, H N A S R. They, I'm the owner, right? But the repository could be called JavaScript Playground, right? So that's, but it happens that free code camp is actually the name of the guy or who created this is the same as the name of the repository. So that's what we need. Let's try it out, guys. Let's clear it up. Clear it up, clear it up. And then make the request again, clear it up, and hit. We got data back, guys. We got data. Let's see what we got. That is amazing. We got exactly what we asked for. How coolish is this? Okay. And that's how we make queries, guys. How do, that's how we make uh, GraphQL queries. And you can go back and then you say, okay, I'm interested in more information. You can just jump in and then ask for more and more and more and more. Okay. That's essentially how we make that. And we made this just by the browser, guys, right? And I'm going to paste these commands in the description below. And then I'm going to delete my token so you guys don't impersonate me, obviously. All right. How about that? Time to jump for an actual code that I have previously written. I'm going to show you how, okay? Let's jump into it. All right, guys, I have written some HTML JavaScript code here that does that queries the REST endpoint, right, for GitHub, uh, GitHub API. But here's what it does. It takes a pull request. You know, guys, what a pull request right? You make a pull request so it can be approved, after which you can merge it with master or the, the parent branch, okay? And it takes that pull request as a URL, and then that number, that specific number from FreeCodeCamp, and from that, I want to get all the comments, all the commits, and all the reviews, okay? And see how the REST does it. See how GraphQL does it. Let's go through the code. This is the REST version. The REST version, same thing. We have to authorize ourselves with a token. Nothing, nothing new here. And that's the first thing we make. The first query we make in the URL, which is this thing, api.github.com. It's not GraphQL. This is just a REST one. By the way, guys, you can reference the video that I made for REST API if you're interested into REST-only stuff, right? And then what we make here is essentially you can go here and then look at that. You get back the results. 
okay and then you get back the pr the pull request and then you that's the first request the second thing is that you have to make another request to get the commits right because it's another resource for that pr you get back the commits and then after that you get back another get the comments right and then get back the reviews and then i have written a function that prints them i'm gonna make this code available for you guys look at the version of our graphql okay this is the query that we want to make for the GraphQL repository. That doesn't seem hard, guys. We know we went there, right? Owner, we did that. And in that, I am interested not just to print the name and the four count. I want just to get the pull request that is number 3673 that exists in this repository. That's powerful stuff right there. And in that, I want to get the comments of that. You can see this nesting that we talked about, right? Give me the first commit and comments. And in that node, I want the ID of that commit, all right? And then we can do the comments, the same thing here. Give me a body of the comment. And then here, you can get the ID. And previously, we didn't get to choose what comes back, right? It's a rest endpoint. It's just all or nothing, right? We get all of that stuff. So let's go ahead and run, run this thing so I can show you. I'm going to use Cuddy here. It's a nice web very lightweight browser uh, web server i'm gonna reference the video we made on caddy it's a very nice thing caddy i don't know how to pronounce it i have a thick accent okay guys i'm not english i'm not american right my this is not my first language so you can see that accent the thick accent the arab thick accent is very clear as you can see from my accent right okay so let's go back and then here's what i do http localhost 2015 and I made the two buttons. You can do a query with rest. One, two, three, four, and boom. It took obviously longer. It gives you the same result. Comments, comments, and reviews. Let's do the same thing with GraphQL. Okay, get the result back. Right, it's faster, obviously. You can see some different results here. Don't worry about it. But it's not really. I didn't formulate the query right. But this gives you the idea, right? And I took this example exactly from the github migrating rest document i'm gonna reference it below they didn't actually wrote it this way they wrote it as curl i just converted into into this uh, javascript example all right guys let's move back to the slides now we have done the examples let's move to the pros and cons all right guys so what's good what's not good about this technology we've seen the good we've seen the good the very good stuff right we like it we love it but is this all right let's look let's talk about the pros and cons pros what's the pros of this technology guys what is good about this technology it's an extremely flexible api right extremely flexible if you don't know how your front end is gonna look like graphql is the way to go right because it's flexible right you don't know. You just design an API, and it's like pretty much like SQL, right? Structure query language, exactly the same, right? Almost, right? If you want the SQL language, you can build pretty much any application you want, right? On top of that SQL structure uh, query language for databases, right? For relational databases, at least, right? And you can build ad hoc queries, and you can build ad hoc applications because it's it's a structured, and you can do any. It's very flexible. So it's very similar, very uh, similar to the structured query languages, the SQL, right? That's why the flexibility part of it, that's why you can do all these nice things, right? 
if you don't know what the client will look like, build a GraphQL because it's a very flexible, unlike REST, which is very resource-based, right? Efficient response. You don't get all the things all the time. You get only what exactly you need, which is pretty cool if you ask me because the, the, the response size becomes really small and in an in a ever-growing microservice architecture, this is very much desired, I would say, right? Because you want smaller responses back, right? Add to that like a nice protocol buffer, compact it even better, even better, right? You get you get efficient responses. For mobile applications, you don't want huge responses. So your CPU start deserializing and drain your battery, right? You want efficient responses back. That's that's pretty good stuff, right? No round trips as as again as a result of the resource based of the REST API. You don't get this round trippy kind of thing with GraphQL because you make one request and we're gonna do the round trips essentially on the back end because guess what? It's not for free, guys, right? Yes, there is no no round trip on the network side. But the back end, you're gonna do some joins, obviously, right? You're gonna do if it's if it's a relation database, you're gonna do joins, but it depends on your internal storage mechanism, obviously, but there must be some joins at the back end. And then that's the bad thing that we're going to talk about. But no round trip networks, which is perfect. That's good. If I ask one question, you get me that straight answer. I don't have to ask seven questions to get one answer, right? And that, that comes back kind of the, the flexibility part of it, right? The flexibility of the client that you don't know what the client's going to ask for gives you this ability to create ad hoc query to send whatever you want to get whatever you want back, okay? There is a cost for that, obviously, guys. It's not free. Single endpoint, we talk about that. So it's just a single endpoint. And then it's self-documented. You know, the guys, the, the query that we make, one query gave us everything about the, the that we need about the server. And that's pretty coolish, if you ask me. Not coolish, it's very coolisher. It's very great, right? It's an amazing thing. Right, one query. Give me describe the entire system. Okay, it's, a, it's an expensive query to come back to deserialize, but you you're gonna do it once, and that's it. Right, you're gonna cache these things. Obviously, I'm I'm guessing, right? And not you're not gonna cache everything. Plus, I believe you can you can ask for what you want, but the problem is, what do you know? What do you want? Right, the moment you know the knowledge becomes a problem right you don't want the client to know a lot of things then then becomes a stateful and that's problematic that kind of hurts the evolvability of the client which is which is a property that roy fielding the the, the inventor of rest api kind of brag about a lot evolvability right so you want your account your client to be evolve, evolving easily right the moment you have it locked into some sort of thing that depends on the server then the versioning aspect of things kind of get uh, kind of get muddied up cons what's bad about this nothing it's perfect technology guys let's go use it and life is better and uh, everything is good wrong no no i'm gonna use the dwight short false false graphql sucks no doesn't suck complexest why do you think a lot of people didn't adopt graphql it's a complex piece of technology. You cannot just download it and set up. It's not Postgres, okay? It's it's not that easy to install, right? So you gotta figure out a lot of stuff to get it spun up, right? GraphQL. 
right? It's, it's not it's not straightforward, right? But it, it's a very complex technology, okay, to implement, right? So if you if you understand the basics of what you're trying to build, then it's good, right? So the complexity here kind of raises the bar for the barrier to entry for this technology. And that, in my opinion, what will 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 kind of free up market a new segment of market for a query language that is schemaless, right? And I and I still believe that this this technology will exist. I don't know when. I have no idea who who will create it or why. But we know why because the the complexity of this. This is this is the classic example with soap versus rest, guys. To me, it's and again, this is all my opinions, guys. I am I don't read anything where. So all my opinion. Soap was created as, as a result of this s- close interrogation and they, they created this protocol and they made it very schema. They made a bad choice with XML, obviously, but that, that, that's not the point. The point was schema-based. So like forcing us to do schema sucks, right? And then the adoption kind of slowed down because rest there's another architecture which is more, much more easier to adopt and it's easier. Obviously, a lot of people kind of screwed up with that architecture and didn't do it as the inventor, Roy Fielding, wanted to, them to do. But it, nevertheless, it, it's working, right? It's the flexibility of this, I would say, like the undefined things kind of... Sometimes you want, you want to leave things undefined to a certain extent. And that that's kind of lower the barrier to to entry. I'm not comparing SOAP to GraphQL, guys. Don't don't get me wrong. Obviously, that's a huge assumption, right? I'm just comparing the the schema based aspect of that to to GraphQL. Okay, but I think I think it's that complexity of this and forcing the schema operations will will kind of emerge a new a new a new technology from that. I think I think, but might be wrong, obviously, right? Type system. It's a type system. You might, you might, as we said, like uh, this could be in the pros section, but I, I put it in the cons because I think it's, it kind of belongs in both. Some, it's, it's a completely subjective, I think, right? To the person, the use case, right? Type system, having a fourth type system kind of slows your adoption, in my opinion, because it's a complexity. It's kind of these two are related together, right? Forcing me to do a schema. Same thing with the relational databases in SQL, right? Because we have the relational databases in SQL forcing you to do a schema. People who, especially web developers, like just, you know, I don't know how my schema will look like. How would I know? I, you don't even add a field and then specify null or not null and then specify whether it's required or not and specify whether it's a, it's a primary key or foreign key i don't want any of that just just give me somewhere i can store my json dude and then uh, yeah so the flexibility of things so that's why no is invented kind of one of the reasons why sql was invented because of the flexibility of mongodb right just, just throw json there and you're done okay no caching i should say no http caching Right, because uh, you get caching as a result of e tags, and that I'm talking about the 304 non modified kind of a caching where when you make a request with get, then for free, because it's using get, any HTTP client, including all your browsers, will cache that automatically, right? 
because it will it will you will get an e tag back and it e tag will compare with the result that you have and if that resource didn't change then it's going to send you back uh, a 304 right if you make the request again to get that schema you're going to back 304 not modified right and that will obviously reduce the the payload coming back and that reduces the obviously it will speed up things right because you're caching unfortunately you cannot cache all graphql queries because they use post and posts are not cacheable by definition and we talked about git versus post i'm, I'm gonna reference a video here guys go take a look at it no standard errors because of the choice that facebook made to make graphql a transport agnostic and not tied to http that they lost on the ability to to define the to use the built-in standard error mechanism for http so every request that comes back actually responds back with http status code 200 okay you, you don't get to use these uh beautiful status codes anymore because they don't use them they always return 200 okay despite you get an error back even if you got an error back you get 200 okay so they didn't use this ability and maybe the were a good there was a good reason their choice they lost on these beautiful standard errors right so if you don't use the standard error you have to define your errors and if you define your errors it's the wild wild west right because nobody knows what are the errors that i'm gonna back getting back how do i know if this is error or not should i check the string error that sounds hacky but that's that's my opinion again the whole thing here is my opinion guys right you can argue with everything you can see here right? and that we need to have a discussion as software engineers we need to be very critical about technologies that's what we're here for okay we don't just take a technology and run with it we need to kind of understand what's going on right expensive queries on the back end back to this thing the ad hocness or flexibility right i'm gonna tell you to return these attributes and you have to return me only these attributes and then you return me the nesting things that are related to this go and browse the edges and get the nodes and give me all these stuff and give me the result back that's that stuff is not free obviously guys right you're gonna make a request at the back end and then you're gonna make expensive queries that will satisfy that request and guess what if someone found finds out that this is indeed if someone shady let's say finds out that running that particular query with these particular parameters is expensive for your server guess what if he's evil enough then he can do a DOS attack on you, denial that DOS, DOS attack, right? Just like they can do that and they can take your servers down because now they cannot deny service by consuming resources. Now you might argue that, hey, I can, I can check, I can do rate limiting and I find out if someone is doing DOS. You can argue with that. You can, do, you can install proxies and monitoring software on top of that architecture of yours to define and get if someone is doing this kind of shady stuff but it's possible right whereas with the rest it's kind of it's a very cacheable system because it's a resource based because you get everything you don't get to choose i'm sorry right <laughs> you don't get to choose what comes back i'm gonna give you this and i'm gonna give it in a very smart way and i'm gonna implement all sorts of caching in the back end even caching becomes very very difficult with graphql i think
When to use GraphQL over REST API, guys? Again, all of this, take it with a huge lump of salt, right? Grain of salt, right? Here's the use case that I think fits REST versus GraphQL, right? You want, you can argue that both of them can fit REST. You can do REST on all of them. You can do GraphQL on all of them, right? But the X here doesn't mean doesn't work. The X here means it's not, I would say, efficient or not applicable or not desirable, okay? The X doesn't mean cannot be implemented, okay? And for that said, let's go. Let's jump into this. The final section, we're almost done with this video, guys. It's a lot of long video, man. I need to do a lot of decent editing on this one. All right. Public ad hoc API that you cannot predict how it will be used. And we kind of said that in a, in a, in a, in a way or other while, while making this video, right, guys? We made it. We're still recording. Yes, hopefully that will be bad if you didn't record. So if you're building an an API that you have no idea how their user interface will look like, right? Or you're predicting that API will be public, or you're predicting the API, you're building the API in a way that is ad hoc to use. Ad hoc means you don't know how it will be used, right? It could be select star from like join and do all kind of crazy thing, right? Like like a SQL essentially, like a SQL language. Right, send out ad hoc, right? And that you cannot predict how it will be used, then I would prefer use GraphQL, right? I think, right? Again, don't take my word for it, but I think that's a just suggestion, right? Nothing more, right? I think GraphQL fits more here. You can build it with the rest. It's just the problem with that, you might get a client that needs certain operations. And here's the good thing about it. You can, if you implement it with rest, then the client will suffer because the client will be slow because it might need to do multiple run requests to, to, to satisfy a certain requirement, I would say, or result, right? But your backend is kind of solid, if you ask me, right? Because your backend is your backend, right? You designed it to be optimal, resource-based. But if you use GraphQL, then your client is fast, Right, because it's, since one request you give it back, but now you built contention in your server, so you better know what you're doing on the back end for that particular query. So comes back to this complexity: are, Do you know what you're doing at the back end? Do you know what these queries are doing? Did you tune your database to to give you the results back in a most efficient way possible? Right, all these questions you gotta answer that. You might argue, well, Hussein, we can we can do the same one. The same thing applies to REST, right? You can do a query to the resource, but it's a resource. You know where you be. You building the REST API based on the schema, so you kind of know what you're building. If you don't know what you're building, if you don't know the API, it's, that's why API building API is hard. I think it's very hard, right? Because yeah. Well, the act of building an API is simple, but the the for the long haul, building an API that scales, building the API that works is hard, right? Because you have to think about all that stuff, guys. It's not simple. It's complex. You have to think about a lot of stuff. I mean, you can argue that, hey, let's just you build something and use it and try and error. And that's, that strategy works with a lot of people, right? Because you can just iterate over it. And GitHub, I think GitHub does that as well. They release version one. And if it doesn't work, they release version two. And they iterate over thing. And then they shifted from REST completely to GraphQL. Looks like it now. They have multiple APIs. 
But here's the thing, specific and will design use cases API, all right? If you have a specific and well-designed use cases and you know these use cases is gonna always be that nobody will ever query otherwise, then definitely use a REST API. Because you know, you know what the query will look like. Build a REST API, get the benefit of caching this stuff, okay? Get the benefit of caching that stuff and, and essentially just utilize the power of the simplicity of REST, right? Because you can get off the ground very quickly with REST compared to GraphQL because there is an infrastructure cost with GraphQL. It's not, it's not just deploy and run. It's not plug and play, okay? So yeah, if you know what you're doing, if you know the specific well-designed use cases and all the possible entry points, then build a REST API. Okay, build a nice REST API using Express or or Node.js Express and all this fancy stuff, and and you know the methods of get and post and delete, right? And simple API that serves one client. If you're building a simple API, if you're building a web page, a blog. I don't know why would you build a blog with the WordPress there, but you might do it. Actually, I might consider doing it because just for fun, right? Because it's just the bloat of things that comes with things these days, man. Why there's no an open source blog, right? That is just does one thing, okay? Write a box to write stuff and store and retrieve. That's it. I don't want anything more than that, okay? So yeah, if you're building a simple thing that is, you know, you have one client for it, one client, the web page that you're going to build it. Build a simple REST API or maybe a mobile application. Even that is better, right? You know, there's one mobile application that's going to consume the API. Build the REST API. Why do you complicate yourself with GraphQL? Not saying you cannot use GraphQL, but definitely REST API is way easier, right? The cost comes back to the cost. You're a man hours, right? Or woman hours. I don't want to be misogynistic, right? But yeah, you're hours. You're spending the hours of things, just working with things, right, guys? Because just save your time, okay? <sighs> Enterprise API. So the New York Times is actually using GraphQL, guys. I don't know if you guys know, but they're using GraphQL and they have a very good use case for it because of all these articles, right? They, they're using Kafka and on top of that, they have one single GraphQL input interface to answer all sorts of questions. And that makes sense because especially for enterprise APIs, GraphQL makes perfect sense because you know there will be integration. You know a lot of people, a lot of other entities, departments will start consuming your content, maybe the public one day, right? So you you want to build a single interface that tie up everything else with you, right? And just by doing that, the power of doing that gives you back the ability to integrate easy on New York Times does does that with the GraphQL. So that's a perfect use case. So that's another use case, right? If you're building an enterprise API for your, I don't know, entity, right? An organization that you know there's a lot of departments and there's a lot of interaction and hopefully a public API one day. If you know you're going to have a well-defined schema. GraphQL is also the way to go here, I think. So if you have a defined schema, GraphQL is, is also good here. If you have a well-defined, if you don't know the schema or you don't really care about the schema as a client, again here, guys, I'm talking about the client, not the backend. You can have a backend schema that's 
could be different, right? Like kind of some uh, a way uh, it's it's a it's it's a disadvantage for a GraphQL because if you expose your backend schema to the to your front end, then you give the attacker another option to kind of bring your database down if you think if you know what I'm saying right because they know the schema they know how it works so they know that if they are if they are good DBAs they might know that oh querying these two fields is gonna blow up your database because you're gonna do a full table scan specifically you don't have indexes on those fields or something like that right then you can go through a path that gives gives you into contention where where you can do an, a very expensive query which then brings down your server and not necessary right you, because you can you can you they can do this query multiple times and do a denial of service attack on you all right guys i think that's it for me today right i'm gonna end it here hope you like this video it's a very long video i didn't expect i really anticipated it to be shorter than that um i apologize for that uh or if you learned anything give this video a like share it with your friends i'm gonna see you in the next one uh, consider subscribing to know more about software engineering. That's what I like to, to talk about here. Let's have a discussion in the comment section. What do you think? Would you use GraphQL or REST API? Let's have a discussion and then and say your honest discussion. What do you think? What's your opinion about this technology? Is it good? Do you think there will be a new version of GraphQL that is schemaless, right? Whatever that's good, whether it comes from Facebook or something else, right? I think there will be, right? I'm, I'm not sure, but... I think there will be a new technology that will basically to satisfy that segment of developers that like to work with schema-less APIs, right? So that will be that will solve most of the things, all right, for the problems with REST API, but it will solve it in in a schema-less architecture. I don't know how this will look like. I have no idea, but I believe if history tells us anything, I think this is the way to go. But Leave this, leave, leave a comment or the or a like, and uh, I'm gonna see you in the next one. You guys stay awesome. Goodbye.